the teaching ministry of Judah Olorimai, a man called of God to compel consecration, provoke repentance, and inspire worship by the preaching and teaching of God's word and the miraculous demonstration of God's power. God's word is about to hit you as light and strength. Get ready for an encounter with grace. The Christian perspective on suffering. There is a Christian perspective on suffering. I'm not sure if the grammatical expression is correct when we say on suffering or of suffering. But um, it is either one of them. And I think one of them is covered. So, the Christian perspective on suffering. Are you ready? Are you ready? I hopefully will take questions. This is a very controversial subject, so I'm open to answer some of your questions after this teaching. Let us pray. Once again, we trust that your word will bring clarity and clear reconfusion. Give us entrance. Grant your word entrance. Let our hearts be blessed. Let our lives be changed. Thank you because you have answered us. In Jesus' name, we pray. So, there are many people who see suffering in various perspectives or from various perspectives. And as a Christian, you must be sure that how you see life is from a Bible worldview, from a Christian perspective. You can be a Christian and have a perspective that is not Christian. You can see marriage from a secular perspective. You can see ministry from a secular perspective. You can see suffering from a carnal perspective. But we are trying to teach on the Christian perspective to suffering. And when we say Christian, our basis is from scriptures. The Word of God provides the framework for us to see, for us to interpret, for us to analyze, for us to view how you see things or how you see something is very important to understanding the subject. We have tried to explain to you what suffering um, is and how it's originated. But tonight we want to come to some conclusion about the general perspective you are supposed to have as a Christian. So some of the things we'll be saying are repetitive emphasis from previous teachings, but I'm sure that after now, if you listen very closely, you would understand the subject thoroughly to an extent. Now, the first thing I want to say here is that the ungodly people or unbelievers see suffering as a proof that God does not exist. They try to use suffering as a justification to support their belief that there is no God. I think it was on the first class I taught you that the average atheist will say, if God exists, why is there suffering? Because suffering is evil. Is that not so? Suffering is evil. Uh, So if suffering is evil and there is a good God, why does suffering exist? Some people believe that God does not exist. Some people believe that God is not good. It's one of those things. Either God does not exist or God is not good. Because if God exists, why is there suffering? Or if God is good, why is there suffering? Some people also believe that God is not in control. God is not sovereign. God is not that powerful. If God is um, powerful, then why is he not stopping suffering? So, but the Christian, of course, must see suffering as actually a proof of God's existence and more importantly, a proof of his love. And let me explain this very, very 
thoroughly. Are we still together? Suffering came because God loved us too much to imprison us. God looked at man and said, if I make them after my image and I make it impossible for them to do what is contrary to my will, I will not be loving them. How do you love somebody and steal his freedom? How do you, you know, if you love a bird, there's, there are two dimensions to it. You can put it in a cage and be looking at it. Are we still together? But if you really love the bird, you will let the bird go. And if he wants to come back to you, he will come back. Is that clear? I cannot say I love you as a Rema pastor. And I, for instance, set up regulations or rules that does not allow you to attend other churches, attend other fellowships if you want to. That's not love. That's binary. Tyranny. Sorry. That's been a bully. God is not a bully. He, he has not defined or showed his love by imprisoning us. And that's why when we begin to deal with subjects like unconditional eternal security, it's a wrong doctrine. Because you cannot say, once I give my life to Christ, I am in prison. I must never come out. That's not love. That's not how love works. Love says you still have a choice. If you want to walk out away from the covenant, it's your choice. If you want to walk away from what I've made available for you, it's your choice. But love, the point I'm making is, it's out of God's love that he gave us the choice to choose what we want to do. And unfortunately, or fortunately, or whichever way, Adam chose the wrong thing. It was God's love. So when you see suffering, the Christian perspective is that suffering exists because God loves us too much, actually. He allowed us to choose. If he made us robots, incapable of a will, then that will not be love. So you can choose to pray. If you don't pray, you suffer. If you suffer, you cannot say it is God's fault. You choose not to pray, and I'm, this is in the limited context. It's not every kind of suffering that prayer cures. Are we still together? But God gave you a free will. You can choose to marry a goat. It's your choice. God is not going to force you. Now, if you marry a goat and suffer for it, it's your choice. But because God loves you too much, He allows you the freedom. Do what you want to do. I will teach you. I will train you. But it's your choice. It's your, suffering actually came about because of God's love for us that gave us a free will. So Adam and Eve ate of the tree, and ever since then, they became slaves of death. Of course, all of that is reversed in Christ Jesus for whoever chooses. God is not going to bully anybody to salvation. He's not going to force anybody to heaven. He says, whoever believes in me shall not perish. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I've talked to this severally with respect to the concept of the open door. So, it is actually a proof of his love. We are suffering because God loves us. Are we clear on that? Now, going further, we cannot claim that God's allowance of suffering means he doesn't love us. Just as we cannot claim that our choice to have a baby means that we don't love the baby. How many of you want to have a baby? Okay. Almost everybody here. Some people don't want to. And I understand. Let me ask again. How many of you want to have a baby? Okay. Now, if you have a baby, will the baby suffer? Hello? Okay, your own baby, when it comes, he will not cry. He will be smiling. Uh, you fear that will catch you. Say, baby, lele, I'll be robot. So, suffering is inevitable. Anybody born into this world will suffer. Are you listening to me? It may be small, it may be much. Now, just the same way, you cannot say, 
since you knew that your child will suffer and you still give back to him, you are a wicked father. No. I gave back to Perez, recognizing that Perez will suffer. He would have teething pains. Is that not suffering? Answer me now. Teething pain, no be suffering. Who caused it? Someone said, it is Judah that caused it. If Judah did not give back to Perez now, Perez will not have teething pain. That does not make any meaning. You can't say because God allows suffering, he is not good or is not loving. That does not make any meaning. If growing up, how many of you um, rode a bicycle growing up? I did not ride a bicycle. Rode a bicycle. How many of you tore your knees and bruised your knees? Okay. How many of you, after tearing or bruising your knees, you still went back? Okay. Now, if your mother collects the bicycle and says, you are bruising your knees, I will not allow you to ride bicycle again. Would you still be good or bad? Bad. Huh? Eh? <laughs> eh? She knows you will bruise your knees and you still want her to give you the freedom to ride the bicycle. Is that not so? Because it is only by that bruising that you will become an expert rider. So you cannot say God is wicked because he permits suffering. Or, if God is good, he will not create women in a world of suffering. He does not add up like that. So, let me just continue in this logical reasoning, particularly to give an answer to those who use this suffering subject as an excuse for the atheistic belief. Now, if God were to remove evil by removing suffering, which of the evils will he remove? Is suffering evil? Come on, talk to me. Uh, you don't know if suffering is evil. Okay. Suffering is evil in the sense of its harm and the pain that it causes. Are we clear on that? Yes, so we agree that suffering is evil. Is that not so? Yes, How many of you wake up in the morning and say, I want to suffer. Let me suffer. Give me suffering. You don't now. Yes, we are teaching you to be strong. We are telling you that suffering is inevitable. But we also agree that suffering is evil. Is that not so? Now, since suffering is evil, if you say God should remove evil, He has to remove every evil. Now, which of the evil will He remove? If He removes suffering and, for instance, makes it impossible for man to feel pain, will He also make it impossible for man to feel emotional hurts? Have you ever imagined a world where it's not possible to experience heartbreak? Even if somebody leaves you alone, you don't feel any hurt. You're like, you're like a robot. You have no feelings, no emotions. No pain. So if God begins to remove every kind of pain, He has to remove, if He wants to remove pain, he, because it's just, he, he will remove every pain. Are we clear on that? Yeah. Every pain. Now, since suffering is evil, have you said any evil things since you were born again? What should God do if He wants to remove evil? Remove your mouth. Would you feel that God is good by removing your mouth when you say evil? What about God making you dumb whenever you want to say something that is not good? Would that be good? Talk to me now. So, why does God just make it that anytime somebody wants to slap somebody like this, it will be impossible for the person to feel pain. Okay? Now, what if somebody is in a combat situation to save your child? Somebody is about being raped. And that works. Well, that, if God even removes evil, rape will not even be the situation. But the point is that if God removes evil, every evil will have to go. Your thoughts. How many of you have thought bad things since you were born again? So what should God do? Remove your mind? Can't remove your mind now because he wants, to, he wants to show that he loves you. 
It doesn't make any meaning. So the permission of suffering, once again, is an affirmation of his love. He allows the free will concept to take its full course. But to now say that the, the, a world should exist where God makes it impossible for suffering to happen by removing every bit of pain is not really um, a logical thing to imagine. Are we still together? So, evil words, evil thoughts, and in all honesty, evil people will be removed. You will have died before you got born again. Because you are evil, that's the truth. You are evil when you were not born again. Satan was your Lord. So, in fact, you will not even exist. Simply put. God allowing evil is so that man will be able to repent and turn to good. He permits it. He lets it flow. To say because he does that, he is not a good God, is to misunderstand the concepts. Um, okay. A world without suffering is not reasonable. You may not even exist in such a world. How many of you have heard of the Biafra War? Okay. In the Biafra War, there we now somebody sent me something very sobering and he said that war is not just about people, soldiers fighting against soldiers. War means rape. War means that you cannot use your money. War means that you may have money in your account, you can't spend it. War, war means that whatever food you have, you will not be allowed to touch it. Are we still together? Now, some people were born just because they existed or their parents existed in the time of war. We must understand that God wants to have you. God wants to have you. And it you must also understand that everyone who exists in the world was permitted to come by God. However, if God removes suffering and removes evil, some of us will not even exist. There were people born in World War II. There were people born out of rape. There were people, as it were, born as an accidental discharge. There were people who were born and their parents did not plan to have them. But God recognized that and permitted it. If we remove suffering, you may not even exist again. That's the truth. Some of your parents, for instance, your wife, the reason why she agreed for your father, amen, is because she was poor and she was looking for money. So when she saw the man back with a jeep, she said, oh, I will marry him. If she did not marry him, he will not be born. Is that not so? If God did not permit the concept of poverty, she will not even marry him. Normally, if me at the war, so now if you now say let's remove suffering you have removed the possibility of you being born because some of us the only reason why we are even existing aside God permitting it is that some suffering led to something and then eventually gave back to us are we still together so God wants us to exist to live and to choose without suffering there will be no pain of defeat, but there will be no joy of victory. Without suffering, there will be no hate. And if there will be no hate, there will be nothing special about love. Imagine if everybody is living and created in a way that there is no possibility of hatred. You will not appreciate love because everybody is giving love. Do you understand what I'm saying here? You didn't get that. If I love you, would you be grateful? Ah, wait, am I, am, are you, can you hear me? If I love you, will you be grateful? 
Okay, maybe I'm, I know what I need to say. Sorry. If Dangote love you, will you be happy? You'll be happy. If love is something that the world was designed to always give, and there's no possibility of hatred because God has removed the concept of suffering, there will be nothing special in love. There will be nothing special about it. So there are certain virtues that will be useless if God decides to remove suffering. Some of the attributes of God will not be able to be expressed or will never even have a platform for expression. If there is no suffering, there will be no greatness. Tell me your favorite superhero. Hello. Okay. How many of you know what they call superhero? Okay. Do you have a favorite superhero? Spider-Man. Amen. If God removes suffering, there will be no heroes, there will be no greatness. Because Spider-Man will have nobody to fight. No be so. There's no thief for him to catch. So the concept of greatness, when you say somebody is a great man, somebody is a great warrior, there will be no story of David and Goliath. David will not be revered as a great man who killed Goliath. Because there was no suffering to even facilitate that kind of operation. So the world will be really... Very boring, dry place. If God removes the concept of suffering. Even the greatness of God will not find a chance to be expressed. How will you know God is great? If there was no Pharaoh. Amen. If there was no Herod, Nebuchadnezzar. How will you know God is great? So the concept of greatness, being a hero, being a heroine, it's, it's not going to be reasonable. So God has allowed suffering to facilitate some of those wonderful attributes. Concepts such as forgiveness. If there is no suffering, there will be no forgiveness. You won't have to forgive me because it will, it will be impossible for you to harm me. There's no suffering. Nobody can feel pain. Nobody can feel hurt. Nobody can feel... So, we can't appreciate some of the qualities of God. Sacrifice. We can't appreciate all of that. Justice. These are attributes of God that only suffering makes available. Courage. If there is no suffering, how do you measure courage? David, a teenager, approached Goliath. The people were suffering and then he went there courageous. So you can imagine a world without courage where there is nothing to fight, there is nothing to oppose. Everything is just smooth and cool. It will not really give us the expression that we have come to embrace that makes life beautiful. And how about compassion? If nobody suffers, who will you have compassion on? You will just be like a robot. No feelings, no emotion. Have you seen those robots? They don't smile, they don't cry. Straight face. That's not life. Is that beautiful? It's not beautiful, no. That we can cry with those who cry. Beautiful. That we can share the pain of others. That we can have compassion. That's beautiful. That's what makes the life beautiful. Imagine you watch a movie where in the movie everybody had no, no emotion. Even aliens, sometimes they show compassion. Aliens. When they see a child about to die, they may say, Oh, so cute. Alien. And they may save the child. But if suffering does not exist, there will be no compassion. There will be no courage. There will be no expression of justice, of greatness, of forgiveness. Are we still together? Okay. Now, the idea of God sending His Son to suffer 
is viewed by unbelievers as illogical and cruel. If you are a son, let me ask you, will you send your son to come and die and suffer? If you are a father, if you are a mother, will you send your son to come and suffer? Will you send your son to come and suffer? So, um, the atheist usually says it is crazy when you say Jesus came to die. God sent him to die. But that truth is one of the very, uh, very important perspectives that a Christian must have about suffering. The truth of Christ suffering with us um, affirms that God is aware of our suffering. God is aware of our suffering. The truth of the cross the cross is a very important emblem of Christianity and I don't mean a fashion symbol um, in the early church the cross represented the victory of Jesus but the cross was very painful and some people cannot make any meaning why would God send Jesus to die if he loves Jesus how do you send somebody that you love to come and die once again, that teaches us that God has a purpose for suffering. Everybody say, God has a purpose for suffering. So let me ask you, why did God send Jesus to die? To save us. Is that not so? If Jesus did not die, we will be saved. So there's something called a greater good that the cross thoroughly expresses. How will a loving God send his son to die? The atheist wonders, that's madness, that's crazy, that's wicked, that's cruel. But now your perspective as a Christian is that, okay, that's how you are seeing it, but then there's a broader picture. There's something called the greater good. If God did not allow Joseph to be taken captive by the Egyptians, will he save the world? No, he won't. So, once you see suffering, you want to ask yourself, what is the greater good? If God permitted the suffering, we have taught you the kind of suffering that God is not involved in. But if God permitted a particular kind of suffering, you want to ask, what is the whole picture? And usually there is a greater good. There is no resurrection power without the suffering of the cross. So, the concept of the Holy Ghost empowering believers was never going to happen if the cross did not happen. Are we still together? If Jesus did not rise from the dead and ascend them. And let me explain to you this, because some of you don't get it. So we think that Jesus would have just said, Holy Ghost, come down. Jesus had to have an immortal body that was only available through resurrection after he died. Now, if he did not die, he will have resurrection power. Are we clear? If he didn't have resurrection power, he wouldn't be able to ascend to heaven in that body. By the time he gets to the sky, he will melt. It is the resurrected body that can ascend to heaven. It is now when he can ascend that he can now send down the Holy Ghost. Because his ascension made it possible for the Holy Ghost to wouldn't dwell in us. So now, but it began with the cross. A greater good. So all the charismatic operations we have now began with the cross. All of them began with the manger. He had to be born into poverty, born um, with a wooden spoon in his mouth. And then um, Carpenter's son, the Jews were expecting the Messiah to come in all the regalia of glory. But he chose how it was going to come because that was the only way it was going to fulfill. The purpose of his coming. Are we still together? Okay. We can also see the cross or see the suffering of the cross as an assurance that when things are not clear, we can trust God. You don't trust a God who has never sympathized with you, who does not understand what you are going through. It would be foolish to trust that kind of God. 
we suffer, I suffer, you suffer, but nothing compares to the suffering of the cross. That's just the truth. Um, not because it was just physical. There were several other things that made the suffering intense and terrible. However, when we look at the cross, we are reminded that God has suffered with us so we can trust Him. There are some levels of trust that I trust my wife with because she has suffered with me. If I'm suffering and my wife says, I'm going back to Lagos, now you God call. They enjoy your ministry. Will I be able to trust her? I shouldn't trust her if she abandons me in my suffering. So, we can trust God because God through the cross has shown that he identifies with our suffering and that he suffers to make us better, to make us good. He suffered for us so that we will not have to suffer again. So, it makes no sense sometimes. Your suffering makes no sense. Recently, you know, after reading the book of Job, I can relate with the pain of Job. Job was wondering, what did I do wrong? What have I done wrong to deserve this? What exactly is happening? Some of you ask those kind of questions. However, you may not get all the answers. God didn't tell Job, this is what you did wrong. No. But God expects you to trust Him when you don't understand. Trust Him. Why? He has suffered for you. He has suffered with you. And He still suffers. Even though He's ascended. He suffers as a priest. Um, he intercedes for us. He suffers grief when we sin. And so He's trustworthy. Say this after me. God is trustworthy. Okay. Let me give another example here about the greater good of suffering. How many of you use a gym? You go to a gym? Do you? When you first started, was it painful? But you continued. Because since packs is a goal, you want to have muscle, you want to wear armless and do like this. A meal more. So it was painful, but you continued. There is always a greater good for every pain if you look closely. Um, and this is something that you must really come to terms with. Alright, the Christian hope in the midst of suffering is that God is perfectly in control. Our hope, we are expected to be joyful, that's what the Bible teaches. When suffering happens, we are expected to still have hope. The Bible tells us to rejoice and count it all joy when we go through diverse temptations. Why Paul and Silas could sing in prison was because... They knew that God was in control. When you know and you recognize the fact that the sovereignty of God is never affected by human suffering, you can rest. Tell your neighbor, rest. God is in control. Um, whether Daniel was eaten up by the lions or not, thankfully he was not, but God is in control. Whether John the Baptist was beheaded or not, he was, but God is in control. Suffering does not threaten God's sovereignty. Human suffering is too little to change the powers of God and make it weaker. So from that perspective, we can rest. But I want to mention four other things that help us to make suffering that is inevitable tolerable. We all will suffer inevitably, but there is a heart posture, a mental posture, that can help you to cope despite suffering. This will be the last thing I will say, and I will take questions.
The first is knowledge. In Romans 8, 18, it reads, For we reckon that the sufferings of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. Are we still together? We reckon, we know, we are sure. Ignorance and suffering is a bad combination. When a man is suffering and he does not know, doesn't know when the suffering will end, he doesn't know what the cause of the suffering is, it can be a very torturous, torturous reality. But when you know, there is a relaxation that comes with knowledge. You just know. Daniel knew that God could stop the mouth of lions. Daniel knew. Even the king knew. The king came and said, as Daniel, has God saved you from the mouth of lions? So you can be sure that there was no panic on Daniel's part. Are we still together? Knowledge. You have to know God. You have to know God's character. You have to know that suffering is not forever. You have to know that suffering allowed has a purpose. You have to know that suffering will cause a greater good. All this knowledge will equip you. Even if you are going through suffering, you are still very at rest. Do you imagine what it felt like for uh, Jesus to be on the cross and he knew he was going to resurrect? Why would he choose to bless those that crushed him? He knew that, well, I will arise from the dead. This is not the end of the story. Tell your neighbor, this is not the end of the story. You know, and that's why he was scolding the apostles when he rose from the dead. That I taught you that according to the prophet, after three days, I will rise from the dead. I taught you. But they were not listening. So all the panic and fear, because sometimes it is not the suffering itself that makes for suffering. It is the other emotional issues. You are afraid, fear and suffering, bad combination. You are fretting, you are anxious, you are depressed. Meanwhile, let's say the, the contribution of that suffering to your life is just about 30%. The other 70% comes from fear. Comes from panicking. But when you know, you also know that, well, this is not the end of the story. Paul went through Shege. Everybody say Shege. Shege. Yeah, you see him where? Well, when you know, you just, you just relax. This is not the end of the story. All these guys that are doing, I am arrowed, I will cut off your head. You know, somebody was threatening Jesus. I think it was Pontius Pilate. Don't you know I have the power to release you? Jesus said, eh? What are you talking about? No, you don't have the power. Let me just give you a chance. You don't have the power. I laid down my life. There is a confidence that eases suffering that comes from knowledge. Well, you know, you know. All the years that Abraham should have suffered from the pangs of barrenness, one of the things that kept him sane was knowledge. How are you told to go and offer up your son, your only son, as a sacrifice? Knowledge. That is torture. I cannot imagine carrying Perez to go and kill him. The killing is not as in that I will be responsible for his death. But Abraham said he knew that God was able to raise him up from the dead. Knowledge. So he, he was bouncing with the boy. Ah. The boy asked him, Where you have carried matches, you have carried firewood, where is the sheep or goats that we will use? He said, God will provide. Hey! You know, is you, I mean, easy. Do you know the torture? I know the torture of being. The reason for my child's suffering. Let's say my child is suffering because I don't have enough money to cater for him in some directions. Ah! It's a terrible suffering, no? Terrible suffering. So know that, okay, if there was more money, I would be able to do this and do that. And Abraham was going to be responsible for the execution of Isaac, and he went. How did he tolerate that kind of suffering? Knowledge. He says God was able to raise him up. 
How did the apostles go through martyrdom? Some of them were killed, fried in oil. What made them still smile through it? Knowledge. Resurrection morning. Jesus told them, don't fear the person that can only hurt your flesh. The person you should fear, the person that can, after your flesh goes, your spirit can still be tormented forever. So when you have that kind of knowledge, you, you don't panic. Somebody threatens you, you should just laugh. My card will do your hand. If it happens to me, it's because God permitted it. So I'm not going to fear you. And I will not be afraid. I won't panic. I won't fret. I will also not bow. They told the three children, bow. The, the, the fire was increased. Say, I'm going to increase the fire. You serve fire. What is the fire of the furnace compared to the fire of God? Furnace fire. It's nothing. Compared to the fire of If God sent down fire here, the fire away rose Sodom and Gomorrah. No be beans fire. Oh. You know there's a particular temperature that cooks beans. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> so then they knew that. They said God is greater than all these threats. I'm not threatening us. King, I'm not careful to answer you in this matter. We know our God. If you don't get knowledge in the face of suffering, your suffering will be amplified. Jesus suffered. He told his apostles, the Son of Man must suffer. He suffered. On the cross, he suffered. As a woman, he suffered. Going through the, 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 the streets of Jerusalem, he suffered. He suffered rejection. Now, why you know you are? Some of you suffer rejection. You get depressed because you don't know that God, the Almighty, the most loving, loves you. You don't know or you are not sure. You were rejected. One man left you alone. One girl broke your heart. You will serve great fast. And you begin to suffer. Meanwhile, if you knew that, come on. The person who is most powerful loves me the most. Such suffering will still exist, but they won't exist in an amplified measure. Do you understand me here? Another mental posture that can help you in suffering, so that you, this thing serves like painkillers. Not necessarily painkillers, but they they help to tolerate suffering. And this is very important. Some of you cause words are in your mouth, waiting for suffering to manifest. I was saying the other day how many women enter the labor room praying in tongues. But by the time pain begins, they begin to shake away. And the, the nurse, a wicked nurse, to say, why are you with the guy? I said, open your lips. Wickedness. <laughs> now, there's a mental posture that can. Suffering does not have to be that overwhelming. I'm not saying God will not stop suffering. But there are some things you can inculcate into your life that can reduce the overwhelming impacts of suffering. You don't have to start ranting, start cursing, curse, worry, curse the day you were born like Job. Humility is one of those mental postures. The proud suffer a lot. One of the reasons the proud suffer is because there's an emotional pain that comes with overestimating yourself. You know the reason why you are angry that somebody not greet you? You are proud. Cookie me. Oh, me. So you not if he gives to pay you. Kill one. You you will not greet her. Why don't you greet? Proud people suffer more. Yeah. Emotional hurt. They suffer more. They overestimate themselves. So when something small happens, the, the way they react is terrible. The more you cultivate humility, the more you are positioned to receive the grace of God. And the grace of God would help you to continue despite suffering. You see, God has been dealing with me about how I must control myself when I am hurt, I am wounded, I am abused, I am maltreated. 
And the simple thing is teaching me is to be humble. Be more humble. Some of you think I'm humble. God doesn't think so. God doesn't think so. He has told me be more humble. You are hurt because you overrate yourself. People walk out of you, you are hurt. You overrate yourself. The day you stop overrating yourself, well, so that come, so that go, but I remain. It's just, it's just life. I'm not saying you won't feel pain if your boyfriend leaves you. But if you are too egocentric, the pain will be worse. Ah, Amy, Amy Timoset, Omi. But if you mean, ah, Amy. Well, you are, you are. Eh, you, eh? No, Jesus, the best of men, was rejected. Even his family members rejected him. What are you talking about? They rejected your ministry. So what? Was Paul accepted in every place? They tried to stone him at the point he was preaching. Everybody carried stone. What he was preaching was accurate. Sound doctrine. The fact that you teach the truth of not many people will accept it. Leave it. John the Baptist was beheaded for telling the king the truth. If you are, if you maintain a humble posture, there will be pain, but it won't be as much as. Some things will just slide. If somebody will say, man, believe, you say, I mean, there's no believe there, man. It's not everything that happens. But when you are arrogant, every little thing gets on your nerves. Cultivate humility. Don't overestimate yourself beyond the biblical proportion that God has set. You are a woman. You are a child of God. Yes, God loves you. But stop seeing yourself as better than others. You have more money. You have more beauty. You have more intelligence. You are still a woman. Philippians chapter 2 tells us we should have the mind of Christ. We should consider, we should esteem others better than ourselves. You cannot hurt me if I keep considering you better than me. That's the truth. I will only be hurt if I feel I'm better than you. So if you do anything, I'll say, well, you're better than me. You have more sense. So it's okay. What you did is fine. It may hurt me, but it won't be as much as if I was arrogant and I always see myself as better than you. Are we still together? So humility positions you to receive the Spirit's comfort. Um, I don't know one of the passages my wife loves is 2 Corinthians, I think chapter 1 and verse 3. That God comforts us so that the comfort we have received we're able to comfort others. Um, the Holy Ghost gives comfort to the humble. That arrogance mentality, that pride outlook steals comfort. Go to verse 4. Alright, so it's in verse 4. Who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. So, He gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. Many people suffer in their suffering or suffer more in their suffering because they are proud. The grace of comfort is rejected when you are proud. You cannot assess it. It's available but you cannot assess it. So, work on your humility. See yourself the way God sees you. See others the way God sees them. And suffering will no longer be something to intensify. That was it for the apostles. You know, the apostles still respected the Pharisees and the Sanhedrins. They were persecuting them, but they still respected them. And these people are children of God, though. They are Jews. Romans chapter 11, Paul writes that the nation of Israel is still a special nation. God has a plan for them. Yes, they killed our people. Yes, they persecuted us. But then, I must not begin to treat them like trash. Are you listening to me? That person who does not like you, who hurts you, is also made in God's image. Respect him. That's the way to ease the suffering. 
And the time you begin to see the person as trash, as nothing, as you see this person, then you will hurt more than necessary. Contentment is another harsh posture. Contentment. Some of you are greedy and covetous. That's why you suffer. Or oh, that's why you suffer extremely. Contentment says, whatever my lot, that was starting to say, it is well. It is well. I'm not saying you should be content with sickness. That's not what God permits. But some of us, our eyes are looking at things that is not our own, that will never be our own. Contentment is an insurance against suffering. Covetousness is a trap for suffering. Be content with such as you have. Be content. Because God has said He will never leave you or forsake you. According to Hebrews chapter 13. Be content. You don't have to have ujukoku. Insect eyes. Amen. Insect eyes leads to painful eyes. Everything you see, you want it. Latest car, latest private jet. Where are you traveling to? You know? You have a wife, you are not content. This is how many men mess up their life, suffer unnecessarily. They are not content. You have a husband, you wish you married the other person. They are not content. Jesus was content. He didn't have a house of his own, but he was content. He didn't always have a donkey to ride, but he was content. And so, whatever was supposed to amplify suffering, contentment will ease the pain. If you are greedy, if you are covetous, you will suffer more. Many greedy people who are rich, that's why the rich also cry. You, are, you have money, you have what some other people don't have, you are still hurting, you wish you had more money. I want more, I want more, I want more, I want more. I want more. That's why they suffer unnecessarily. Many rich people who suffer, honestly, with what God has blessed them with, they should be happy and joyful. But a, a covetous man will always want more. So you have to suffer more. Are we still together? Yes, One last point here be spirit filled. That is also another heart posture that helps you to ease the impact of suffering. Um, in Ephesians chapter 5, we are told to not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Or be continually filled with the Spirit. Um, it tells us how we should be filled. And verse 18 there about singing to yourself in psalms and spiritual songs. Making melody in your heart. Being full of the Spirit, what it does is that it shifts your mind from the natural realm. Are we still together? It is in the natural realm that suffering is terribly painful. The spirit world that is invincible to human eyes, intangible to human touch, is a place that if you are there consistently, you will not feel suffering as often as you have been feeling it. When Stephen was being stoned, he was in the spirit. He said, wow, the heavens are open. I see the heavens open. And, the right, and, and God is sitting at the, right, standing at the right hand of the Father. Now, that's been in the spirit revelation. Are we still together? Did not make him count the hearts of the, being stoned is a very painful thing. Ah, <laughs> I watched one video of a stoning in uh, one of those Arab countries. The way they do it is that this is very graphic, but let me just show you. I'm sorry, it sounds horrific. They, they create a hole and they put the person they want to stone there. Then they allow only the edge to come out. So you cannot be touching the stone, and you cannot even touch the edge. As the stone is coming, you are just you are buried under. Only your head is out. That's how they execute. Radical jihadists. That's how they execute. That's how, stoning is not just leave you like this and be stoned. They make it more painful. 
And I'm telling you, Stephen in that state could still see heaven. What do you see when you hurt? What do you see when you're in pain? <laughs> uh, you, you, you can be in the spirit always. Jesus was in the spirit on the cross. Are you following me? Never caught off guard. So you could practice forgiveness. The fruit of the spirit, love, kindness, meekness, could still flow. Many Christians cannot practice the fruit of the spirit when they are hurt, when they are suffering. Why? They are in the flesh. Suffering brings them to the natural realm. But God expects that because of the deposit of the Holy Ghost, you are, you should, you are supposed to be in the spirit always. Be in the spirit always. Have you confirmed or have you noticed that Paul wrote most of his letters in prison? How does a man be in prison and have revelations, insight? That he wrote almost the, the two-third the two of, the, of the New Testament. Because even in prison, he was in, he was in the spirit. Peter was imprisoned. <laughs> he was so much in the spirit, he slept. For an angel to wake him up, he was a deep sleep. And he slept in between two criminals. He just went. See, I don't know what's up. I don't know if he knew that prayers were being said. But he was in the spirit. When Paul and Silas began to sing praises in that prison, they were in the spirit. In the spirit. Don't allow suffering steal your spirit consciousness. Maintain the glow. Oh, see, if you practice these things, you will discover that suffering can be a setup for revelation. It can be a setup for insight. I don't think there's anybody who has worked with God with strange, uncommon wisdom who has not suffered with God. Uh-uh. Suffered loneliness. Enoch walked with God and it was no more. For God took him. Moses saw God face to face. You know the suffering he went through? The abuse from the Jews. Elijah suffered depression, wanted to kill himself. <laughs> Prophetic people suffer for God. If you want to, you, you see, you cannot waste the suffering opportunity. It's an opportunity. Maximize it. Be in the spirit. In your toughest pain, light will break out. You'll just be aware of certain things. You'll come to terms with certain things. Some things will be open and clear before your eyes. But if you live only now, the reason that is so is because there are certain realities that makes the soul more connected to the spirit. Are we still together? Now, your spirit knows all things because your spirit and the Holy Spirit are almost inseparable. One spirit. However, one of the reasons, for instance, why people that are prophetic fast a lot is because in that suffering of hunger, their soul capacity is stretched to assess the depth of their spirit. A man who does not fast, cannot stress himself, cannot connect with you too, you know, sometimes when you are praying, if there's no agony, there's no revelation. Agony prayers. To put yourself on the edge and stretch yourself. Not just in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can't do anything like this. You read the Bible, it does not make any sense. You can't give yourself to the, the discipline of Christian sacrifice. Suffer for that and not be apt in scriptures. Are we still together? The apostles followed Jesus only with the cross. What does it mean? If you are going to learn from me, your cross of suffering must always be on your back. You cannot follow me in convenience. You cannot learn from me in convenience. Carry your cross and follow me. Learning, revelation, download, all of these realities happens when you accept Christian suffering as something that will facilitate a revelation. Spirit feed. Spirit feed. You are conscious of the physical pain because you don't know what it is to have the pain of God. 
You, you see, oh, have you ever imagined the pain of Lot in Sodom? We explained that in Second Peter chapter two. Every day he saw the, the Sodomites. He was grieved. He suffered with God. Now, when you train yourself like that, God can trust you. God can trust you. I told you, if you don't suffer with, you cannot be trusted. But be spirit-filled. You are too distracted with earthly realities. It is only in this world that there is pain. By the time you set your heart on things above, are we still together? Ephesians 5.18 or 5.16 which says, do not be drunk with wine. Your own may not be wine. What are you drunk on? Some of you are drunk on football. You feel the pain of my youth. 7-0. Amen. You feel the pain of Chelsea. But have you felt the pain of heaven? You are, you, are, you are drunk with the wine of the earth. You don't know what it is to weep because of the iniquity of a generation. You don't know what it is to lose your appetites. You Apostle Paul went to a town. And the Bible says when he saw the idolatry, he was angry. He didn't plan to preach. He was angry. Why is this entire city given to idolatry? And he began to speak. He felt the pain of God. Jesus looked at the people and had compassion on them for they were like a people without shepherd. Now, if you are drunk only on natural things, some of you drunk, drunk on movies, drunk on football, ecstasy is only limited to 22 men running around the field. You have never known what it is to shed a tear after reading John chapter 20 verse 9, and chapter 19 where Jesus died. You read the crucifixion story without a tear in your eye. You don't know the pain. You have never on that. You don't. You cannot grab it. But once the movie is playing, you say, "Oh, so touching." Oh, so touching. And you begin to cry. That was a prison movie. That was very emotional. Forgotten the movie now. I think it's Asia. It's Indonesia. Eh? Wolf. Wolf warrior. I don't think so. Eh? Hey. The, the, the movie producers tried. They created, they made you cry. If you don't cry, you <laughs> I, I mean, all the reviews I heard, although I watched the second one, there's another one, same storyline, but lesser in emotions. That was the one I watched because I said, the way they are talking about this movie. What I say, person go carry and catch watch So I watched the other one. I wonder that one too was very touching. But if I am in those places, I ask myself, can I weep over Jerusalem like this? Can I be like Nehemiah who knows the heart of the people of God? I'm crying for something that is not, is not real. Well, they say it was a true life story, but ultimately it's in the movie. Can I hurt for something more real? The eternal is realer than the temporal. Yeah. Are we still together? So stay spirit-filled. It's an anesthesia. It's a number of you go through the worst, and people will say, You are still bubbling. What's your secret? You say, Am I going to the worst? I have no idea. <laughs> you are just loving up on Jesus. That's how the apostles live. Staying spiritual. Suffering is inevitable. But if you do these things, ah, it will not be that bad. And Christian want to commit suicide. It's a shame. He said, He's angry. He's not coming to church again. It's a shame. And it's all of this. Sometimes overestimating yourself. People that, over, that overestimate themselves, they get angry over small things. Little things. Trip them. They are fused. It's very short. Let me stop there for now. Any questions? We are finished early and um, we want to entertain questions. I could have dragged the subject matter, but I really want to entertain questions. I know that many of you did not, like I said, hear the previous teachings. 
But come on. If you have a question about suffering, let us have it. If you don't have questions, I'll ask you questions. No, that's not a threat. I don't know why you see that as a threat. You see, ah, ah, for what? To answer question is a threat again. Question on suffering. It may not be what I've thought exactly, but suffering. This topic, suffering. Yes, sir. Mr. Daniel. Hold on with the mic. Oh, for the mic. Please put on that mic. Hallelujah. Thanks for the teaching, sir. I just like to ask um, about Timothy and Epaphroditus. You mentioned that sickness is not part of suffering. However, Epaphroditus suffered from the book of Philippians, and um, it's kind of related to his um, his labors as a believer. He's laboring alongside with with Paul in prayers and in many other things. For what exact chapter church. and verse in Philippians? Just to be specific, so I can read it out. Alright, so Philippians chapter 2, from verses 25 to 30. Alright, so, Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus, yes. fellow brother, fellow worker, brother, fellow soldier, messenger, and the one who ministered to my needs, since he was longing for you all, and was distressed because you heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death, for God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but also on me. This I should have sorrow upon sorrow. What's your question exactly? That was he suffering as a Christian? No. If, if mercy intervened, it was not something that God liked. He said he was healed because God had mercy on him. And not just on him, but also on Paul. Now, you may say, there's no written text that suggests just his prayer that made him sick. Nothing like that. We just were told he prays, but he was sick. This was different. There was no conversation of it is in prayer that he became sick. Look at the statement again. Your messenger and the one who ministered to my needs, since he was longing for you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy on him. In Colossians, we are told that he labors in prayers. But there's nothing that suggests it was his prayer that made him sick. Nothing. Sickness we have established can never be God's will. I will use more than three, three um, truths to establish that. One, everybody Jesus met that was sick, he did something about it. Two, there is no sickness in heaven. Three, there was no sickness in Eden. So all the perfection states where God's will is absolute. You don't see sickness there. You don't see sickness. So, uh, 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 this man fell sick. Um, there was also another one, Trophimus. Paul had to leave him. He was sick. They could not heal him. Even Timothy was sick. Um, Paul told him to take some wine for his often infirmities. But never suggested it was God's will. Let us not read all the healings that took place in Paul's ministry, Peter's ministry, Jesus' ministry, and use this one exception of somebody being not able to be cured as the truth that sickness can be God's will. No. We have to. Because in Bible emphasis or in Bible teaching, you look at what is emphasized. Paul never directly or indirectly suggests that sickness was God's will. James also affirmed it. If any man is afflicted, let him call for the elders. Let them pray. So, it's not let, let him accept the will of God. Never. Never does James or Peter or Paul suggest that sickness is God's will. Are we clear? Thank you. Any other questions, please?
suffering, 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 suffering. Yes, Sister Ashley. Sir, there are people who are born with certain forms of deformities and disabilities that have put them in a lifetime of pain, discomfort, and basically being a burden to those people who are their relatives or their caregivers. So I want to ask as Christians, how are we able to, how should we be able to relate with them on that? Because for some people, really, as much as I want to explain to them that definitely this was not the will of God for them and all that, and, you know, everything in this world became distorted because of the fall of man. But these people are actually going through real pain. Yeah. And there's almost nothing that you can actually say that will take away that pain. I'm talking about physical deformities that are really... They're really terrible. Yeah, actually, yeah, um, that's a very um, obvious issue. In, jo- in John chapter 9, a man was born blind. And, uh, disciples came and said, Who sinned? Was it this man or his parent that was born blind? What about people that were crippled from the birth? And all of that. Um, the first thing I want to say is that when somebody is hurting and is hurting for something that is not his fault, Explanation is not necessarily what's important. Sympathy, empathy, comfort. Okay? Um, trying to give why. And Jesus did not answer the question, why? Who sinned? He just said, see, the important thing is that the glory of God should be manifested. Now, that statement does not mean the man was made like that to glorify God. It only meant that even in that situation, God can still get the glory. And God the glory, Jesus healed the man. Are we together? Empathy. You see a man hurting because of deformities from the birth. It's not, it's not intellectual conversation that the person needs. Um, as Christians, we should just try to let the person know that despite this, establish what God established in the case of Job. God is still sovereign. God is in charge of the world. His suffering does not validate God's sovereignty. God cares for him. God loves him. Uh, and more importantly, which is something that we may not be able to be loud on, but it's what it is, God can fix the situation. I said we might not be able to be loud on it because we have not labored much in miraculous power. But trust me, if Jesus is somebody that was born deformed, it's not time for grammar. Get him fixed. Get him fixed. And we must contend. You see, the church must stop giving excuses. We must just see all these things as a slap on our face and say we can fix this thing. We must, must be able to change these things. And I've heard cases of people fixed, Down syndrome cases, fixed, uh, you know, fixed by the power of God. So, deformed children, from, the, from even the pregnancy, the diagnosis was such as deformity, and then God's power began to go to work, and the repair happened. Um, so, just because we are not having much success in that direction does not mean that is not also a possibility. You understand? Let's not now play the coward role and say, mm, uh, this thing, can, it is God that made you like this so that you can glorify himself. Not really. I know that there is a preacher, one without limbs, what's his name? I think Vusinik also. Without limbs, without hand and leg. But he's a popular preacher. Even right? president of Austin. Now, if you ask me, I will tell you that when he gets to heaven, God will give him new legs and new hand. Amen? Amen. 
can you keep going? I said, ah, you have been coping like this, man, cope, Lord. Uh-uh. I didn't talk about this, but there's an end of suffering. There's an end of suffering. And um, while he has found, now I'm not going to say, uh, you should go and look for miracle to form his leg. That's not what I will say. Because the first thing is empathy. You don't want to start making it like you don't have faith. You are suffering for nothing. No. But, if you had to run a commentary about what God will want to do, if God shows up in that man's life, Jesus appears to him. And the man says, Jesus, I want to stand and use my hands. I cannot imagine Jesus saying, no, you have been managing, huh? Continue. I can't imagine that. <laughs> so, but, we cannot rub it on their faces and make them feel bad for being unable to receive miracles. No, that's not how it works. Show empathy, show compassion. And let the person know God is still in control. God still loves you. God cares about you. And that's a good thing to stop at if you cannot progress into God can fix the situation. All right, another question? Yes, Josh. Okay, so as regards mentally deranged people, I know um, the Bible says that preach the gospel to all creation. And then, like, how do we. God knows that. Many of them cannot understand what you are going to tell them. Then why are they in that state? I don't know if you get what yeah. I'm going to say. Many of them can't understand you telling them Jesus came to die for you. They are, I've seen many of them. And like, I'm not talking about mad people. I'm talking about people that have like problems in that's, their mind. That's where we cannot do the great commission without science and wonders. When Jesus met a madman, what did he do? When Jesus met a madman, what did he do? And then preach the gospel, Abi. The more we keep emphasizing gospel without power, we'll just be, see, it's just rubbish. Cast out the devils, heal the man, the man became an evangelist. He went to 10 cities, the I was preaching. Power, we must get power back. Somebody is sick in the mind. You are, you are supposed to preach the gospel of healing by acting. And if you fail at like that, no problem. Well, you keep trying. But there's no other way. How are you going to preach the madman? Or oh, somebody who's mentally deranged. You get healed first and then you can come And I know madness, even mental issues are, are fixable. At least I'm this it um, first hand. My mother used to back me. I'm related to mad people. I would be prepared. Sometimes they would tie the person. My mother said, leave her, leave him. Father God would touch the person. Say, oh, and they, I, I saw it live in a quiet room. <laughs> Nobody say it, then say So... We see, we just have to contend for the Christianity. We go down and say, I wish I'm a Sunday, just Sunday, down and say, Go do. Go do. It's not, it's not the way it's designed to be. I think somebody was asking the same question about somebody who's deaf. How do you preach to a deaf man? I said that churches are beginning to adopt. Are just, they now have um, sign language people. But if God cares about you to provide a sign language person, so believe sometimes lay hands on these people now. Tell them, okay, one school of the deaf in, uh, I think it was Zimbabwe, one man went there and closed the school now. <laughs> Wicked man. He healed everybody. <laughs> the school closed down. No more funding. They told you, don't come here again. It's for market for us. One pastor, two said, he went to Akure, emptied the hospital. The doctors were broke. Wicked man. But it is what Christians do. And it's what, if Apostle Paul was even in this generation, those are the things he would do regularly, on the, on the regular. So I, I want to use this as a challenge. And that's why you see that in the conversation of suffering, you notice God always reacts to suffering. 
God is never passive. God is not helpless towards suffering. Hello? Expansion suffering is not real. It's not helpless. Let's not pray to God who just say, Bale. God. He wants to fix it. He wants to do something about it. And if we learn enough, stay enough with Him, it will be, it will be extensions of His mercy and compassion to the weak and vulnerable. Any other question, please? Yes, Sister Grace. Thank you, sir, for the teaching. Okay, I want to ask how true it is that um, God will allow a man to go through a suffering that he wants to use him to deliver people from. For that instance, what? I didn't hear. that God will allow a man to go through a suffering that he wants to use him to deliver people from. For instance, Apostle Paul, maybe because he understood what it means to be persecuting the church, that was why he had so much feel to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Also, I read about Kenneth Hagin, who works with so much healing anointing, that he was bedridden for years. So, how true is this concept? I personally believe that. It's not like God will say, I want to use you. Take suffering. I believe that if a man suffers, the man is positioned to be more of a ministry material. We spoke about priesthood in the second or third class, that a priest must feel compassion. That's why Jesus had to suffer. He could not experience... He could not have priesthood capacity if he was not prone or vulnerable to suffer. So it is not like, I won't say God gives a man suffering so he can use him. I will say that if a man suffers, he is more positioned. And there were people who did not suffer too much and God used them. Um, a few examples. I don't believe Daniel suffered too much. Initially, well, there was a raiding of his hometown, he was taken as a captive. And then immediately it was so fine, and they took him to the king's palace. The garden began with Daniel. But Daniel was still praying and fasting. He was still practicing consecration. He still gave himself to compose, um, 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 should I say deliberate suffering. Okay, I would fast. I would abstain from other things just to, you know, be useful to God. So, Kenan was sick. God did not send the sickness. But when that thing broke him, and he died thrice. He came back and said, This thing that I learned, everybody must learn. There's a man I've been reading of late. Um, it's John G. Lake's mentee. Even though he did not really meet John G. Lake. John G. Lake was one of the greatest preachers. The man's daughter, two year old daughter, died. And after the man's daughter died, the man told God, God, you, I, I know that it's possible to heal the sick. Give me the knowledge. If you give me the knowledge, I will not hide it. This girl would not have died if I knew what to do. So he began to sat, 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 and then he got connected to John Gillette's materials. And the guy is, <laughs> is he has this, this very crazy healing anointing. It's not really anointing. It doesn't say he's anointed. We just say that. It's just what he has learned to do easily. He's very arrogant about his healing grace. He will tell you that if, even if you don't have faith, once I lay hands on you, you, will be, you cannot spoil the record of Jesus. Jesus says, this is such a brethren that believe. If I lay hands on the sick, they will recover. Whether you have faith or not, it's not my business. Once I touch you, you will be a mistake. If I touch you, oh God, dog. and it works for him. He's not doing my God, it's really works for him. Very wild man. Sometimes we just go and stop. If he's has word of knowledge that somebody has a back problem, we just go and stop the back. Bah! I say, you check, check, you're healed. Ah! From where you come? He was that, he's that rascal. <laughs> but he, he, he made a vow to God. I said, well, after his daughter died, does not mean God killed the daughter. I say, no, 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 your daughter has died. Now will you serve me? That's not how God works. Are you clear, Grace? Yes. So, 
Okay, sir. Um, if I see someone suffering, like physically, do I immediately like start to move in faith, like, oh, you are healed, or I let the person go through the process of the suffering, like what he's supposed to learn from it? Like, how do I discern when I'm supposed to say, oh, you are healed, or oh, God has something for you to learn from this? And if peradventure I choose to oh, say you are healed and then nothing actually happens, is it because my faith is not strong enough or is it because there's something God has for the person? We may not have all the answers. We read of Epaphroditus. We read of um, Trophimus. When Paul left sick, Paul was anointed. Paul is in the anointing was soon with his shadows and his handkerchief. Are we still together? But he could not heal Trophimus. He left him sick. If healing fails, don't blame yourself. Don't blame the person. Don't blame people's faith. And don't blame yourself. Um, just keep trying. There are many things we may not understand until we get to heaven. Our mind is too finite. There are many things that we may never understand. But God is sovereign. God is loving. God is caring. God is our of vision. God wants to help out. You understand? Now, if you see somebody, now, please, if somebody is suffering sickness, don't tell the person God wants to teach you something. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what the apostle did. If you can pray for the person, pray for the person. But I've discovered reception is a better option. Asking the person, can I pray over you? That's okay. Now, don't use experiences to define God's word. Whether it works or not, God's word is true. Okay? The prayer of faith shall save the sick. That's what the Bible says. Whether that like I said, we may not be able to understand. You know, but... Just know that the word is not is not bound to our experiences. All right. So, if it doesn't work, continue. Sometimes you need to pray again. Sometimes you need to pray again. But don't blame yourself. I've discovered that this idea of blaming yourself and blaming the other people makes it more likely for it not to work. When Satan knows that there's blame within, he will steal your faith. Just do it. Just do it. Don't be planning that you will prepare your blame speech. The reason why it did not work is because you didn't have faith. No, Jesus didn't. Talk like that. There is one scripture that is used to describe that reality. But just the way the man I was talking about explained it, he said it was not like Jesus blamed them for not having faith. The real issue was offenses, so they did not even come out to be healed. If Jesus had laid hands on any of them, they would be healed. Whether they have faith or not. They will, Jesus is Jesus. Ah. How is a dead man raised? What faith does a dead man have? Hello? What faith does a dead man have? Lazarus, you have faith? So, if we begin to say we are blaming people for their faith, uh, it's a setup, it's a trap. Just do what you need to do. Whether it works or not, you do it again, you do it again, you do it again. Are we clear? Sure. Thank you. One or two more questions. More. What is the origin of suffering? As I touch it, since you don't have questions, let me ask you. Who's sin? Even girl, when I look at mention woman, I know now. Don't be you. Don't remember woman was saying first. <laughs> but it's one who says it's Adam because that's what the Bible woman says. It's only Timothy. Now Paul began to say hey, it is the woman that sin first. And Adam is a type of Christ, not Eve. So the first creation, as far as God is concerned, is Adam, not Eve. I wonder what will happen. I can imagine if Eve sin and Adam not sin. Hey, you go hard though. I don't know what happens with the problem. Go hard. I don't know what will happen. <laughs> Maybe there will be two races. The innocent and the redeemed. So I don't know. Okay, okay, okay. Any question? I'll ask one more question if there's no question. 
What are the benefits of suffering? As a Christian. Endurance, patience. Mm-hmm. Those are the things we said. When we touched the benefits of suffering, we saw that the Bible always says, Cast out joy, knowing that the trial of your faith worked patience, worked endurance, compassion, capacity. Those are the things that we mentioned. All right. Thank you for your time. Ah, you have a question? Quickly, quickly. That thanks for today's lecture, sir. Sir, I think last Wednesday or two Wednesday, you talk about loneliness. That Christian also suffer loneliness. So you said uh, you gave us a, uh, a Bible verse which said, which says, "Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, when they mock you." So, so I noticed that these people they suffer emotional. Which people? Like people that undergo this loneliness just because they want, they don't want to mingle with unbelievers amidst them around them. So I noticed that these people they do suffer through uh, their emotions like is in danger. Most of them they develop high blood pressure. Ben. So how can we encourage these people? Because some people some people they came from uh, Muslim family. High blood pressure. If you are suffering for loneliness. I don't know human beings that are Christians that you can do. That's the issue. People want to be picky. Now, find girl where no girl sense you won't like. But see where she be Christian. See, you tell us, she says you're fine. And you be Christian. Spirit is brave. Person, person no go like you. Now, person where we're still alone, you say, I want to be fair with that one. You know, I have high blood pressure. Good for you. Good for you. Are you saying there are no people that are Christians that relate to you? Really? People say things like Christians are boring. Have you met me? Have you met me? Things are boring. Yes. So if, if, if all those lies, you say, is to justify that carnality. When I see somebody avoiding Christian people, always be friendly on believers. I tell you this one. You go wound like this. No, for this church, nobody. What you are being? Very aga. That we are too, we are too posh and too touched to have a friend here. Now, person, whenever God born, whenever born again, now you won't be. Maybe your bestie. I don't pressure. Good for you. We heal you. So that's what it be. You clear? No, but seriously, if you if you if you say I'm lonely, many times it's your fault. Even if it's one person. My wife was my best friend, and I was never going to have any. For me, I would rather be friendless than have an unbelievers. Or rather, we eating together. I will be praying the Holy Ghost. They will bring charm that the mother gives them. <laughs> You don't know what you are telling me with demons. See, I, I, I've known the person for a while. <laughs> Your friend since primary school. Do you know the waters that has passed under the bridge since primary school? See, I, we have just covenanted ourselves with this covenant that we are always going to be friends. Paul said, I know no man after the flesh. Why? What? I mean, do you know the kind of people I've met on the media? Forget. Forget real life. Media friends. Ah, who have not met me? Who just say, you love Jesus and love Jesus too. Come on. You know, see, many times it's because you are indifferent. When we don't know where you are standing, we can't befriend you. We don't know who you are. Are you a Christian? I'm trying to stay in the middle. Continue with IDP if that will help you. We trust that you've been blessed by this teaching. We look forward to receiving your testimonies, prayer requests, and feedbacks. You can send us a mail at judamaye at yahoo.com. That is, 
J-U-D-A-H-M-A-Y-E at Yahoo.com. Till next time, remain in the consciousness of God's word and power. Thank you.